0: back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. I'm without sound effects today. Mm. I'm really sorry, everybody. I love my sound effects, but what are you going to do? So you're going to do zero sound effects? I'm going to do one thing, just to get it kicked off. You want to do this at the end, but I think we have to do it at the beginning. (laughs) Sweetie, why are we listening to this song? Let's let it play
1: first, because this is the best part.
0: So this is, oh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, this is Dire Straits, Walk of Life, and our friend Chris Lozier, who's been on the show before, introduced us to this website this weekend that we could not stop watching, and it's called thewalkoflifeproject.com. Is that correct, Todd?
0: I'm going to pull it up, but okay. let's just say that's what it is. It's
1: called thewalkoflifeproject.com, and it's this dude who all he does on this website is demonstrates why Walk of Life can be the final song in every single movie. So basically he'll take the end of a really classic movie, anything from Space Odyssey to Godfather to, or even a TV show, like he even does the end of Friends, and then he will place Walk of Life at the end. And you may be thinking, why is that funny? You have to go watch.
0: And it's not. The website is wrong that you gave. Oh, it's it is. It's wolproject.com.
1: Oh, OK. So Walk, so WOL stands for walkoflifeproject.com.
0: So basically, stop what you're doing and go to this <laughs> website. Because if, I mean, we were belly laughing for a while <laughs> yesterday. And because the idea is a lot of these movies end either badly or in a dramatic fashion.
1: Or sad or, or sad. scary.
0: And then this song comes in. <laughs> And it is just the best. What's interesting.
1: (laughs) This just starts. And it's one thing when you're watching a bunch of them back to back how it's just it's kind of wrong. It's just
0: wrong. Yeah.
1: But it's so funny. Um, My recommendations, if you were like, okay, there's a bunch of movies here. What do I watch? (laughs) Dr. Strangelove Mm -hmm. is ridiculously funny. Um, Halloween. Which I talked about at the conference about how that movie affected me. So watching the end of it with Walk of Life coming on is really funny. The end of Friends was really funny.
0: Godfather.
1: And Godfather was hilarious. Yeah. Um, so just a little thing. And tip. there's
0: about 25 or 30 movies that he basically just puts – he lets the end of the movie kind of play <laughs> and then – Cues the music, and it's just quite comical.
1: I know, and I was reading some reviews about it, and people were saying, I don't want to know why he does it. I don't want any background. I just want him to keep doing it. Yes,
0: just do it. Just
1: do it. So anyway. Be like
0: Nike. So this is episode number 297. We're three away from the big 300. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding, and who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember, Armada, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. Uh, from Dr. Siegel.
1: Dr. Dan Dr. Siegel. Dr. Dan
0: Siegel. So um, you give a preview on what the guts of the show is going to be and then okay. I want to go through my quick things.
1: Okay. We're going to talk about um, self-regulation and we're going to talk about self-organization. And interestingly enough, um, a lot of this is based on the work of Dan Siegel. And I'm going to try and make it really applicable and, and uh, give good examples so it's not just a bunch of jargon because it does get a little bit dense. But I think if you kind of understand the workings of the brain and what self-regulation and what self-organization is. Not only does it help you understand how you function, but you'll have a better understanding of your partner and a better understanding of your children. So it's applicable not only to yourself, but your relationships. So that's what we're going to talk about.
0: All right. So um, I was listening to, I'm going through this Tony Robbins coaching curriculum, and I heard something interesting. And Um, it might sound like I'm regurgitating our motto, which is, which is the best predictor of a child's well being. dot, dot, dot. But do you want to know, sweetie, and this is science, this is research, what the best predictor on whether or not a marriage is going to make it is, I mean, it's kind of a hard question to answer, but like...
1: Self-understanding?
0: Well, at what time period in a traditional marriage, um... Can you look at it and see how they're treating one another will dictate whether or not 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, they're going to get divorced? Oh, gosh. It's really a hard question for me to ask. I should probably just tell you.
1: Well, my guess would be
0: post-children. What do you mean post-children? That get more specific.
1: When they are done giving birth to children mm. and their children are all like past that crazy crisis stage, where well, it's not like How they crisis.
0: deal yeah. with that moment or that time period in their life. Yeah,
1: because the reason I say that is I have found that I have had friends who've gone through divorces or who've considered it, and it's always after that child-rearing time, like where they still have the children in the home, they're still like maybe seven years, you know, the youngest is maybe seven or something, but they're all kind of self-sufficient, and all of a sudden you're left with the marriage.
0: Good guess but wrong. It is how the man and the woman... Uh, treat each other and behave towards one another shortly after their first child is born. Okay, so it's after the first child. So when their baby is an infant, interesting, newborn, they've done studies and they um, observe how these men and women treat each other and if the man you know does what he's supposed to do which is support the wife the Mm -hmm. new mom Mm -hmm. in such a way versus being defensive or versus being distant distant or disconnected and then how the mom kind of needs to embrace the new dad in because the new dad's like, well, what's my job here? Because so I just thought that that was interesting. Um,
1: And you know, i kind of feel like we've done a lot of shows that talks about that. One of the ones that come that comes into my mind is when we interviewed Bridget Schulte from the Washington Post, she wrote a book called Overwhelmed. And she talked about she did a lot of research on this. And she talked about how it how essential it is mm -hmm. to redefine and, you know, your responsibilities in the home after you have a child or, or if you get to a point where things are a little crisis-oriented or chaotic, you have to redefine, you have to come together and decide how your family is going to manage things. Instead of falling into traditional roles yeah. and the woman being the martyr and, the the, the you know, this man going on as everything as usual, yeah. you have to come together and, and decide how you yeah, are going to Yeah, what is this
0: family going to look like?
1: So I kind of feel like um, – this is obviously Tony Robbins and this is research-based, but there's a lot of other people who say similar things. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I don't know. And it's not a stretch. I mean, it makes complete sense to me, but I just have never been, nobody's ever told me that specifically.
1: Well, and let's talk about us specifically, like, I know that after we had JC, I went through a huge identity crisis, which in itself means our relationship is going to change. Not necessarily get better or worse, just going to change. And the question is, how do partners deal with each other's change? Because I basically had to say, I don't know who I am anymore. I need to do something different um, for myself, for this relationship, for me as a mother. And a lot of times the partner... It's not really the opposing partner, but the partner that's dealing with that change from their significant other, they don't like it. Yeah. They're like, this is not who I married. This is not who... And the thing is, is we don't stay the same.
0: Right. Well, in a marriage, I don't think will ever go any other significant shift greater than that one. Yeah. When that first baby is born, because before they're, before that, they're just a couple. Right. And they kind of know their roles and the mom works and the dad works and then maybe... After the baby shows up, the mom goes back to work and the dad stays home or vice versa. I mean, there's just some seismic shifts in the dynamics of a family when that first child is born.
1: And it's different now compared to how it used to be in other, uh, you know, at a different time, like even 10 or 20 years ago, because the woman, her whole Everything has changed for her in that women you know they go to college they not all but more than usual, and they often have careers that they're you know on this like trajectory, you know this path and it didn't always used to be that way, right. where things were the jobs that maybe a woman had or was expected to do or not do were very different we're now because of equality mm-hmm. because of um, we 're not completely one hundred percent there, but enough things have shifted where our roles have become more similar in the world yeah. more similar and so when a baby is born oftentimes we find and again I'll I'll take this research from Bridget Schulte, we find that we fall back into old patterns historical patterns but they don't really fit us anymore that m- part of my
0: identity yeah like society has caught up with some some equality, but we still view our traditional roles as when our parents were our age. Exactly.
1: And when I had, you know, gone through, you know, I'd gone through school and graduate school and I had a job where I had a lot of responsibility and then to say, okay, now I'm going to stay home, which I wanted to do. I really did. But I found that in that, just doing that alone was challenging for me because I needed other outlets and that's going to be different for everybody. But I was like, the path that I've carved out in my life, this- these two things, I have to figure out a new way for me. What that means is that means you have to figure out a new way for you too. Because if I'm not going to stay home um, 100% of the time with my kids. I We need to do this together. Right. And that's, I think, what's changing in families is that roles are being turned upside down or we're just, we're throwing it up in the air and saying, let's create something brand new. Yeah. And some homes do it traditionally. Some do it, you know, completely opposite of the way things used to be. Like there's a lot of stay at home dads mm-hmm. now. That's become a norm. Or
0: full-time daycare whatever.
1: Or full-time daycare. Um, you know, they're full-time, part-time. And the thing is, is I hope what you get out of the show or these discussions is you've to find what works for you Mm -hmm. you have to figure out who you are and who your partner is and what you want to do as a team
0: agreed um and i want to it's probably too big of a subject but it's similar it's similar to what we're talking about is are you in a child-centered family but i feel like that might if we open up that can of worms of what that means it might take away from some of the things that we want to talk about so maybe we'll talk about that next week okay does that sound good? Uh, sure. Our first partner is Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, healthy families by choice, not by chance. Uh, Dr. Kelly runs an amazing practice and it's chirotree.com if you wanna learn more f- about Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Um, all right, I wasn't paying attention when you said we're, what we're gonna talk about today.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Well, I, di- I did, but I've already forgotten.
1: Okay, this is funny, you guys, listen to this. So I, you know, we had our conference a couple weeks ago and I um, I always make a vision board. That's the way that I, that's like my business plan is I make a vision board. So I've had this vision board up about our conference, our 2016 conference, and it's now over. So on Saturday, I took it down and I created a brand new vision board for 2017, which kind of, it has its own ebb and flow, meaning it may not be look the way it looks now forever. But it's like I kind of just throw some things on the board of what I'd love to do for next year. So it sits in our office right next to Todd's desk. and so today I said to him what do you think about the new board he's like yeah I saw it you know and then I said well wait a second did you know I changed the board right and you said
0: no I had no clue and it had all different pictures on it I started all over all different quotes on it but it gives you an idea of either the way my brain works or how I am not paying attention to details like I don't know what it says about me but there's always things that like you get a haircut I don't I don't notice it half the time.
1: And I, you know, I kind of think, especially after listening more to what I'm going to talk about today with Dr. Siegel, it's not bad or good. It just is like, it's like how you listen to a song and don't hear lyrics.
0: Exactly. That's it's a very good understanding of the way my brain works.
1: Yes. You don't see the detail orientation. You know what? I have this great thing uh, that. Well, I don't have it. Cameron has it in her room. And it sits next to her desk or sits next to her bed. You may not even know it's there. And here's the weird thing, Todd. I don't know where it came from. Okay. But it says, it's this little like knit uh, quote mm-hmm. that's in a frame. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not knit. It's like stitched, like okay. somebody stitched it. And it says, thank you, God, for allowing me to see all the colors. Mm. I know that I don't know where it came from. Like, I know I gave it to her, meaning we found it somewhere or... Because that is her, yeah. You know, like she sees a lot of colors, and that has its positive, and that has its negative. And and when I'm saying this to you guys, it's metaphorical and real. Sure. I think she sees a lot of things, but I also think she just experiences a lot of things. It's not that you don't see any colors; you just don't see as broad a spectrum as maybe she does or I do. Like you're 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 more like you always say you're more laser. Yeah. You're more clued into what's in front of you,
0: focused on one thing, and then I'm not good at looking. I'm, I, I'm good at looking at the tree, but not the forest.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes, Maybe. yes, yes. And I have a very... It's difficult for me to focus in on one thing because, because I your see life, the broad well, picture. Plus
0: your life is centered around multitasking anyways. Yeah,
1: yeah. But even before children and everything, I like vision, but I'm not dutiful like you are. I, I like... The big, vi- like even putting together the conference, I like the big vision, but the actual details of like figuring out how to set up the room, I don't care. Right. like And just, that's
0: the stuff I'm good you're at. You're
1: good at that. So it's actually a very nice balance. So we need all of the above. Yeah. There's not one that's better than the other. and And again, those of you in a partnership, you have to remember that it's how we pull from each other's strengths rather than how we make each other the same as we are.
0: Yeah. How do we complement each, each other? How do so, we complement
1: each other? So first of all, I wanted to say that I, I – we've talked about Daniel Siegel on the show a lot. Obviously, our motto comes straight from him. We've read his books. We've seen him in person. Yeah. We've got to experience uh, – him. you know, We got to be in kind of a small group and work with him. So he's someone we respect very much. And it just so happens that this week um, on the uh, Alanis Morissette podcast, she interviewed Daniel Siegel. So I was excited to listen. And so what I talk about today, if you wanted to go deeper into it, the Alanis Morissette podcast, you can download it and um, listen to this discussion because I can only – it's such a dense discussion and it's so fun to listen to them talk about it because they both talk in such – um grand language you know but but it's fun i enjoy it but i just want to pull out a few things that i really enjoyed because he was talking about how one of the things he really what a lot of what daniel siegel is known for is he brought together a big group of people uh kind of an interdisciplinary committee where he brought together psychiatrists psychologists um neurologists um philosophers all every discipline you can think of and he brought them together this was in like 92 okay and he said what is the definition of the mind and nobody could give him an answer i mean they could say things like well it's you know it's it's the brain that was what a lot of people right. said it's the brain but the truth is he knew the reason he brought everyone together is he knew it was grander than the brain.
0: Than so the function of this organ that's inside your head.
1: Right. The brain is the brain. Yeah. It's the organ, it's the it's the processing, you know, agent, or right. agent, right? But the mind is broader. There's something that's connected to the brain, of course, and to the body and to consciousness, yeah. which sounds really like out there, but we all know this because sometimes ideas come from nowhere. Sometimes we have, you know, we our mind reflects what's going on in our body. Mm-hmm. It's not just the brain. And so he brought all these people together and and this is kind of, uh, you know, what I was thinking about. As they were coming up with something, initially everyone was really angry with each other. Can't hmm. you see that? You've got a lot of minds and a lot of like people who are at the top of their field, and they're giving their input, and other people are saying no. You know, the the person who is more the neurological person is like, well, it's all about brain, you know, offshoots and synapses, and then the sociological person is saying, no, it's all about connection with other people. Yeah. You know, the anthropologist is saying it's all about history. You know, everyone's like mad because they want their.
0: their agenda or their belief system to be the right one. To
1: be the right one. And this is what I love is that he talked about that whole experience was really a practice in interdisciplinary respect and collaboration and how they eventually were able to find some common ground. And I would take up an hour explaining to you that common ground, but they were really able to find that it all
0: overlapped each
1: other and it was all essential and I think if we take... So
0: nobody was wrong.
1: Nobody was wrong.
0: But nobody had the totality of it either.
1: Because that is impossible. Right. There there are things that are just true. And instead of... there are things that are true and you can add more to it but it doesn't make that initial thing untrue it just makes that initial thing bigger and grander so like someone who has a sociological perspective their perspective still holds true but when they incorporate the anthropological perspective then they have a broader perspective but their initial perspective was real
0: pulls it back a little bit further to be able to see the big picture
1: and we're going to get to that that is what you just said is perfect the pullback so that's really good but what I thought in a grander scale Todd you know everything that's going on in our political climate and how divisive we all feel, that we only get bigger and better and more. And when I say bigger, I don't mean like more people. We only become more whole and more healthy and more harmonious the more we're able to hear other people not change who we are but then make that part of our understanding and integrate that into the big picture. Mm -hmm. So what I mean is when we say, I'm right, you're wrong, they're crazy, I'm not, you are standing alone as an island. You're not integrating or understanding the way another person thinks. And what that does is it shuts you off and keeps you from growing. And it separates you and disconnects you from the whole person you could be, the harmonious, healthy person you could be. And so – but here's the thing. Someone can have a completely different opinion of you from you, and you don't have to change your opinion, but you can still accept their opinion as valid for them.
0: Well, and my uh, example of that is uh, I kind of fall on one side of the political spectrum. Correct. And most – not most. A lot of the people I know are on the other side that – I choose not to have a discussion with them because I know that they're not going to listen. I really do think I'm a good listener and I'm open up to different ideas and interpretations of how they got to their own belief system. And I'm all for those types of discussions. But the minute that somebody has to be right and wrong, then I kind of tune out. Like, you're crazy because, Todd, because you believe this and I'm right and you're wrong. And it, and the example I, I've given on the show before is the... Bill Clinton's uh, campaign manager from the guy from Louisiana. Yeah, love him. He's married to a Mary s- Matlin who is a Republican. Yes. So, I mean, that is one good example. Is that you don't have to not I was going to say hate. You can love a person that believes in the absolute opposite that you do in these foundational beliefs of what we think is the right way to go
1: because that's all they are—is their their beliefs. They're not who you
0: are. Like but we, when we talk about religion or parenting or politics, we ha- we have a perception that this is who this person is. And and to your point, that's not correct. No,
1: and you know, there's this uh, Rumi quote: um, "Out beyond ideas of wrong and right, there is a field. I'll meet you there. That's who we are—the field where we meet." Out beyond what you perceive as right and wrong, which are your ideas and your life experience and your lens on the world and your viewpoint and the accumulation of your experiences in the world. You call them right or wrong, mm-hmm. but really they're just your experience. Like we
0: have our own.
1: Exactly. But beyond that, like the core of who we are, we're all in this field together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, let's do our best to meet there. Doing that – Necessitates self regulation. Yeah. Okay. Self regulation is the ability to have an emotional experience and be able to notice you're having it and to figure out a way to regulate yourself and get back into a harmonious place. So,
0: give me an example.
1: Okay. So, me, last weekend at the conference, it was Todd and I were working at such a high level before the conference, meaning, we were working on the conference, which is a tremendous amount of work. We were also doing our regular work, and I was teaching, and he was teaching, and I was writing and he, you know we're doing all this stuff that we do, plus uh, there was a lot going on with my family. you know my dad had been in the hospital, um, there was taking care of our children yeah which is, oh, know, yeah them. <laughs> which is the most basic level, so we were functioning at a super high level, and I wouldn 't say that it was always completely healthy. it was just kind of what was going on right so then the the, the conference is over. And I, the day after, felt very dysregulated because I felt, uncom- I felt so excited about what happened but uncomfortable with not knowing what to do with myself or where to put my energy. And we talked about this a lot yesterday because Todd, made, instead of regulating, and I'm, I'm not saying you were dysregulated necessarily, but you maintained that level of high productivity.
0: Yeah, keep going.
1: He was like, okay, we're up here. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. That doesn't work for me. And this is a, again a difference between Todd and I, so the rest of the week, I felt non harmonious and i couldn 't figure out how to get back to that typical place that I like to live in, yeah, which is I like busy sometimes, you know I like to do my work and feel motivated and in flow, but I also didn 't for a, probably a year and two months we've been
0: working on this working one on weekend this. event
1: so it 's like how do I get back to this place, and I told Todd that. Just to like add more examples, I, that I was listening to an interview with Dan Patrick. Is that his name? Yeah. Dan Patrick? He used to be on Sports Center, and now he has radio shows, you yep. know, like sports radio shows. And he was talking about that when he left the TV business, which was a huge decision to stay home and be closer to his family, right. a tough decision, he came home and didn't know how to be because he had been working at such a high level. And like a a constant stress-fueled level that when he came home, he's like, I had to figure out how to get in the car and drive to go pick up my child, and that's it. There's nothing more high-level. I wasn't taking – fielding 50 calls. I just and I had to relearn mm. how to get there, so that 's what regulation is that 's an example of it right. uh, dysregulation can also just be i 'm angry about something and I have to get back I have to bring my – I have to recognize my anger, but then bring back my my center of awareness right. you know instead of constantly living in anger because i 'm finding with a particular uh, political candidate when I do ask why someone supports this certain political candidate, their answer is because i 'm angry right. But if you're making choices based in that anger, it probably isn't going to serve you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Your anger can tell you what's bothering you.
0: Your anger can propel you into a positive direction.
1: Exactly. It can tell you like, wow, I'm fed up or I'm feeling um, that I'm not in control of my life or I'm feeling out of control. And you can figure out how. But the process once you're angry is once you feel it and understand it, it's the process of of getting back to being regulated rather than making decisions from that place. Well, I feel
0: like this plays quite well into another idea that I'm learning about called the crazy eight. And I don't know if you remember about the crazy yes, eight, you but, told me, but you're talking about explain. the anger, uh, somebody gets anger, but as human beings, we don't like to stay in a particular emotion for too long. So somebody can be angry and uh, then it will switch your your brain or your body or your emotions will get bored of that and it'll switch to something else very quickly. So it'll go from anger to sadness Mm. or anger to depression. Mm. And then once you're depressed long enough, then you move back and get towards the anger. And it's this cycle that you just keep on doing. It's like an eight and you just keep going round and round between these two extreme emotions. And
1: you don't even know you're in the crazy eight.
0: Right. And what you're saying is exactly this, avoid the crazy eight and regulate yourself. So the million dollar question is, is first you have to be aware that you're in this crazy eight of this anger, sadness cycle, but then how do you get back?
1: Okay. This is good. This is, this is, this is the interesting part. You know how you said pull back? Mm -hmm. A huge part let – me, let me just say that there's a little bit of a difference between self-organization and self-regulation because self-regulation is more about the emotional expression, trying to get yourself back into a harmonious place. Self-organization is all the pieces of your life. And I don't mean like organized like your closet. I mean internal organization, right. identity, who I am, plus that self-regulation. But a big piece of self-organization and self-regulation is the ability to differentiate – and then link. Mm -hmm. What that means is exactly what you said before. When you're going through something difficult, traumatic, you know, something that... Yeah, crisis. Differentiation means you can back up from it, which is connected to mindfulness, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Can you even be aware that you are in this crisis or do you live in crisis? See, there's a difference. Differentiate means you pull back and look at it. Be the observer. Be the observer of it. It's like a pulsing. Like, you know, like you pull back, you look at it, you kind of figure out how you can maybe regulate what's going on or, you know, have a different experience with what's going on. And then the key is then link it. And this is the, the part about brain Make it part of your new awareness. Mm. You have an experience, it's crisis related, or maybe you made a poor choice, or so you differentiate from it, you see what's going on, and then don't lose it. Don't like say, well, I'm not going to think about it. Don't push it away. Don't repress it. Exactly. This is why the shadow is so important and why you and I and everybody else who talks about the shadow says you can't not look at it because how then do you integrate it as part of your understanding of the bigger picture? Right. If you don't look at your shadow, it's this hidden thing that seeps out in all these crazy ways.
0: So for the sake of somebody who's like, well, shadow, what are you talking about? My quick short definition of the shadow is anything that which we repress or hide.
1: Correct. Okay. So, we, the way that we like change a system or self regulate or self organize is we have to be able to pull away from it and then link it. And part of pulling away from it is being able to talk about it, journal about it, see it from a different perspective, see it through new eyes. This is why therapy is helpful.
0: Share it it. with a loved one or a professional or a coach or whatever.
1: Exactly. And what happens? When you talk about it or write about it or share it, you start to see it differently and then you can start to connect it to all the other pieces of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what link it means. Mm -hmm. But if you have a negative experience and you don't identify it and you don't process it or learn about it, it's like a negative experience that you don't even get to pull from anymore.
0: Well, I think what happens is you push it back and it turns into another item of things in your baggage that you have since you were you know, since you were a little kid.
1: Different ways we can say it. Like you said, it becomes your baggage. It becomes part of your pain body. It becomes part of your shadow. It becomes part of what you don't talk about. It becomes physical ailments in your body. It becomes anxiety. That's the stuff we push down. It becomes, it carries a physical manifestation, but it also carries an emotional manifestation where we start to break down.
0: Let it go and let it flow.
1: Exactly. That's what that process of when you are. So all these pieces go together. And I I know it's complex, but, you know, the way that we self organize. Organize and stay harmonious is we need to practice self regulation. When we are in, like what you just said, that eight, you know, Mm -hmm. that crazy eight where we're having all these feelings, we have to be able to pull away from it, process through why it's happening, and then find the pieces that help us understand ourselves better and link it back. So we become bigger and bigger and bigger people.
0: Well, and what I was going to say is you, um, you know, like I, I asked, what do you do? And you gave us four or five different things. And, you know, All we ever talk about this thing is like, what's the answer? And I feel like the answer is always like silence or meditation or something like that. But you actually gave other, because silence and meditation is one of the pathways to deal with this crazy eight that we're talking about. But if somebody's like not into meditation right now, what are some other things you can do? And what you said was you can journal about it. You can talk to your friends about it. So
1: this is what I do. This is, so Todd, you know, like I was saying, going back to my original story, I had a really dysregulated week, and I knew it. I knew because how I know when I'm dysregulated, I become a smart ass. I become passive aggressive. I become annoyed very easily. My fuse is shorter. Um, these are the ways that I start to be like, wow, you're, you're kind of out of sync. I then, and I'm very lucky to have Todd as my friend. He's my partner, but he's also my good friend because I just tell him everything I'm feeling, even though it's not always pretty, Some of it feels egoy.
0: I can vouch for that.
1: Yeah. Some of it feels unfair.
0: And what I'm going to say to the uh, people out there, whether it's you're the husband or the wife or whatever, and this is happening, I call it like a storm is coming. And yesterday a storm came. And my initial reaction when that happens is to get defensive and defend my position and tell you why you're wrong. And uh, I've been doing this long enough to where I can not do that because really what you're asking for is just to listen to you and to not judge you or tell you why you're wrong and just sit in it and let it kind of process it and as a partner that takes a lot of practice too. It does. Yeah, yeah. Quite a bit of practice. So I I just think that that's important.
1: Well, and to your point you know like you just said our initial reaction from anyone telling us something that may be uncomfortable is to explain why they're wrong and just by the nature that I'm feeling it and that it's real for me it's not wrong mm-hmm. it may not be your way of seeing it it may not be your experience right. now let this is okay let's get broader with this it's the same with our children when our children come to us and they tell us they're an experience they're having, and our first instinct is, no, you're not right, and this is not how that goes, and this is what you're going to do instead, we are not helping them self-regulate.
0: Like this morning.
1: What happened this morning?
0: One of our kids said, um, you're sick, or I'm sick.
1: Oh, she said she was sick, yes.
0: And it would have been very easy for us to challenge her and say, how sick are you? But we trusted her and believed that that was what was going on. And it was
1: her truth in the moment. She did not feel good.
0: Right. And uh, so anyways, because it was kind of an interesting day because as the day went on, she got stronger and stronger and she probably could have been at school. But at what expense does that where you challenge like, no, you're not sick. You're, You're fine. You can go. And what we did or what you did this morning is Allow her to have that feeling
1: well and and the thing is is again it 's all of our perspective that i everything you said, I share, and I you know concur what you said, but I also think that she did feel sick, and even though she got better over the course of the day isn 't that the whole point of staying home mm-hmm. and even though you and I have had talks about like sometimes our kids have to you know what's the difference between a small headache and a large headache
0: right yeah know? there's a there's a 1 to 10
1: there's a 1 to 10 range of pain and right. capability Or
0: sometimes when you know your kid is wiped and there's no there's way that no kid way. and then there's and then they wake up feeling great and then there's this gray area in between right. and that's where the money gets made in parenting is right. how are you going to handle that gray area
1: right right and a lot of times it's to not handle it at all yeah. and help them allow them to figure out what that means, what that looks like, because if we just tell them, right. then they don't trust the way they feel. Right. They say, "This is what I'm supposed to do."
0: Our job is to get these girls to trust themselves. Exactly, that's our job.
1: So I'm taking that experience of how I needed to kind of unload and tell Todd everything I was feeling, because part of it involved him. It wasn't just me saying, "Hey, stand there, I'm going to dump all over you." Mm-hmm. It was like I need to talk to you because some of this, some of my annoyance has been about this, or and it doesn't, you know, he he always wants to say like, well, "What do we do different?" there are some things that we can do different meaning you know i had felt kind of stuck in the house yeah. because he he had been traveling and stuff so there's some things but sometimes it's just i need to say this out loud so i can regulate myself because i'm dysregulated for a lot of different reasons right. and once i'm regulated then maybe my choices are going to be different i just need to say it and that's me some other people who don't maybe they because I'm a words person, they may prefer to write it, draw a picture, do painting, do something creative, run, right, you know, move their bodies, dance, sing, you know, um, go to their therapist, talk to their coach. Like, that's the thing is that I know it's frustrating for a lot of people who want specific answers, but you got to figure out what works for you.
0: Um, your love language is words. Correct. And do you remember what you said to me uh, last week after your massage?
1: I said, I can't believe... How physical I am too.
0: You said, I think my love language is touch.
1: Or I said, I, yes, yeah, something to that. I didn't mean I was changing. Right. I,
0: I, I but I basically said, you know, it, I think what it happened was you're coming off the high of a massage. Right. And it was, you know, you were, had this endorphin rush of massage endorphins. And, you know, but there's no way that you, are not words.
1: I know that is number one. Yeah, but I think what I've learned in my older maybe it's a,
0: maybe maybe that's getting closer to number one, but it's it'll never it'll never surpass. top words.
1: Well, and I think what I've learned, like I have this yoga class that I go to, and I have a teacher who always rubs my back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like she doesn't adjust me; she just rubs my back. And how meaningful that is to me, and how with you, same kind of thing. You know, like um, touching and holding hands and hugs, and then a massage. So so I'm finding a as i get older such value yeah. in touch but i give you yes that words will always be more important yeah
0: and i didn't want to make you feel like you were wrong but you know there's just it's just way too obvious i have way too much evidence to the contrary
1: so one more thing i wanted to say that i thought was super interesting is how this connects to the mind and the brain and everything is that something that they have found is that, okay, so let me start by saying this, the brain, for those of you who don't know this, the right side of the brain is more our intuitive, our openness, our our vastness, creativity. our creativity, our musical, our, yeah. well, actually, there's some musical connected to math, but it's, yeah. it's you know, it. as Daniel Siegel would say, we're actually whole-brained people, so you don't just go around saying, I'm only right brain, right. you just may have a strength over there, so... There's, that's the right side of the brain. The left side of the brain is our more concrete, our Love more logical, it. Love it. practical, you know, Todd's like lovey-dovey area, mm-hmm. and I'm, I tend to be more right-brained, thus the show. Um, so, But what's interesting is that those two sides of the brains are connected by something called the corpus... Christi? Yeah, no, not the corpus Christi. The corpus callos, callosum, C-A-L-L-O-S-U-M. C-A-L-L-O-S-S-U-M corpus callosum
0: yeah that's exactly it
1: i don't know so for all you brain people out there i'm i love studying the brain but you know sometimes i cannot process the words so the corpus callosum is this piece that connects the two sides of the brain okay okay and they have found in people who have had significant trauma when they were young that 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 corpus callosum that piece is smaller and doesn't function as well. Hmm. What that means is that's why they have a hard time regulating because they have a hard time making taking their feelings and learning how to be more practical with them. Right. They have a hard time. What we would call this is they have a hard time integrating. Yeah. They have a hard time like bringing this experience into a big picture idea. A
0: whole brain, a brain idea. A whole
1: brain idea and maybe making better choices. Yeah. Um, because why that's so important is that we sometimes when we have a really big feeling like you know you just feel really overwhelmed yeah. another thing that is really helpful or actually I'm saying the same thing but I'm saying it in a different way I'll, I'll use something that's that's like a, a girl thing sometimes when i'm feeling really emotional and i'm not quite sure why and then I realize what time of the month it is for me. Mm-hmm. I find that there is a normalization of the feeling I'm having okay. where I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So
0: that, does that reduce whatever stress that you're um, feeling yes. because you can, I can justify it?
1: I can put it in context. Mm, got it. This is why children love normalization. Because when they're having a big feeling, let's start when they're super little, when they're really little and they're having a huge, huge, huge feeling, a tantrum, and we say, you look really angry. And we can, we put it in context like this is a word. Yeah. This is a thing I, I recognize. I've seen this. Their anger, it may not fully go away, but there's, a, there's an integrating factor where they start to feel not so bad mm-hmm. about the way they're feeling. It's like um, – When someone has been, let's go to an extreme, sexually assaulted and they feel like it's their fault and they feel like they're so overwhelmed and they're taking on all this, you know, self uh, negative feelings about themselves and then they meet someone else. Who gives them language for it? Like helps them understand. Do you know what's what happened to you? It wasn't okay, and do you know that you were actually emotionally abused? And the, and they start to give them this language where they go, "Oh, well, now I it,
0: understand." Well, isn't it like um, you know anybody who has? I don't. I was just listening to a tragic story of uh, you know, I don't remember what it was, but a parent who lost a child. Right. And they went to a support group, and the minute that they got into the support group, it lessened the intensity of it and maybe just the fact that there were other people going through the same thing gave them a little perspective.
1: Exactly. That is the beauty of the left and the right brain working together. The left brain is, as I'm having these feelings. I'm overwhelmed. They're totally normal. I should have them. It's an expression of how I feel. The right brain, is, excuse me, did I say that the wrong way? The right brain is the feelings, feelings blah, the blah, left blah, 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 blah. The left brain then helps you put it in context. The left brain
0: says, oh, I'm not the only one. The left brain says- There are I, things I can do. Yeah, there is something I can do to help. There's language for this. There are people I can lean on that understand what I'm going through because all my friends don't know what this is like. Exactly. So it's just kind of that.
1: So when you understand that each side of the brain has that skill set and that corpus callosum that that ties it together, if that's weaker or smaller, it's harder for someone to regulate and integrate. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I found that really fascinating and that they have also found that people who maybe don't have trauma but have like we're born with more of a genetic predisposition for something. It's the same kind of thing. It's the right brain, left brain. They have a hard time integrating them together. Right. It's like the same issue is going on, just different language and yeah. just, just a different way of explaining it. Now, on the positive note, and this is how we'll end this, is we all know even with those things, like if you had trauma in your childhood and it's harder for you to integrate and self regulate, we know the brain is, has neuroplasticity. OK, yep. so we know that we can always create new pathways
0: in our brain. Old to- old dog, new tricks actually does work.
1: It, it compl- Yeah, it, that doesn't exist. I
0: remember yeah. listening to Dr. Siegel's book and he was dealing with some 90 year old man who had this baggage his whole life. And Dr. Siegel, because the guy's brilliant and he knows what he's doing, helped this man through this problem that he's been suffering from for 90 years. Now the psychological or depression, I don't remember what it was, but a ninety-year-old man. So, like my dad's seventy-six. Oh my, he can't figure it out. He's old dog, new tricks. It's not true. It's not true. Any of us, whether you're you're nine or ninety, you your brain has the ability to shift itself for the better.
1: Create new neural pathways. You have the ability to make new highways in your brain all the time. It's just got to be a practice. Yeah. So it's not just wishful thinking, I hope that I end up this way. It's a practice. Yeah. He actually, on this show, he, he restated that story. Oh, did he really? And he said, the wife came to him and said, did you give my husband a brain transplant? Yeah, right. Because I don't know this person that yeah. I've been with my whole life. Like, he's more optimistic, he's different, mm-hmm. the way he looks at things. Because that's what it is. Our view on life is the way we experience our emotions right. self-regulation and the way that we see and deal with what we've experienced self- integration yeah and then that is self-organization right. and so what's beautiful about all of this is it's it's open to all of us. Like Todd said, it doesn't matter how old you are. Like I love Sean Acor's work around happiness because he talks about very similar things. But he talks about how to, if you really want, and I'm using the word happy, you can use content or joy, whatever works for you. If you want more of those positive feelings, there's actually things you can do every day to train your brain.
0: And I love the things to do because my brain is good at doing things. Give me four things to choose from. I'll do two of them in the next week to... Uh, open up those possibilities.
1: And a few things, just because you said that, a few things that he talks about is, number one, every day, write an email or a letter to someone with appreciation mm-hmm. every day. Gratitude. You don't just do it once and say it didn't work. Right. You do it every day. The other thing is making gratitude lists, noticing what happened throughout the day. The other is it, it just the process. This is actually connected to Daniel Siegel also. Do you know, and this is also Amy Cuddy's work around um, how our bodies affect our brain. If you just smile mm-hmm. and you make your body, you make your mouth smile, the inside your body and brain and all the chemicals begin to believe you are happy. Yeah. So it goes both ways. So if you, like Amy Cuddy did all this work where she actually put a pencil... In people's mouth, mm-hmm. where they their body, they were smiling, right. and then she mes- measured the levels. The, the I, I don't think it was cortisol, maybe it was cortisol, and that it came down. Regardless, she did a scientific experiment that showed that when you were just kind of forcing yourself to smile, your brain followed suit.
0: I forget the three things, but if you want to cha- make significant changes in your life, one is change your physiology, which is what you're talking yes, about. Yes, that's,
1: that's Tony Robbins. Another
0: is change your focus, and then I don't know what the third one is. I, don't know. I wish I would uh, I wish I remembered, but no, those are two of the things, change your focus, change your physiology.
1: And and one of the things that Todd and I were forced to do, and I mean this in a good way, when we went to see Tony Robinson did um, Unleash the Power Within, is that- After he would be talking about something for a while, then we would have to stand up and jump and dance and move our bodies because that is how we stayed in the zone. Right. That is how – what did he call it? Not the zone. Stayed in – not flow. What was this? Uh, I'm punching.
0: I know. I remember, but I don't remember.
1: So it just kept us in that place of awareness where we had heightened awareness. And if you guys remember, that – that was what allowed us to walk on fire. Mm-hmm. Like Todd and I walked on fire. And so thousands and thousands of people who have gone through Tony's workshops have walked on fire. It's just one example of how when you are in a state, that's it. Yeah, When, you are, when you are in that state and when you are focused, that's how your body reacts. So physiology is just as important as emotional. You know, like one thing that I, I remember found... the
0: third one actually what I did remember, so um he calls it the triad of meaning, but the patterns of physiology, the patterns of focus, and the patterns of language so awesome. change your change your words as we put. Words, words to an experience, it changes the meaning that we experience. The words that we put to an experience have to do with the questions that we ask ourselves, the metaphors we use. And
1: I'll, like I'll give an example. One thing that I love to do uh, around this time of year is I go to a few of the um, Catholic schools in Chicago and I teach uh, sex ed to fifth graders and we I do it every year. And I was there today, and one of my biggest joys in doing it is that words piece where I present to them their bodies and anatomy and the workings of being a girl as this amazing, awe-inspiring thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. It is an ama- and I believe that from the bottom of my yeah. heart. I'm not trying to blow smoke. And the reason I get a, such a joy out of that is I know that even though they're going to hear different things from other people, that there is someone in their life that used language that helped them see things from a different angle. This is amazing what your body does. This is normal what your body does. You are like all of 51% of the population, we have these this amazing inner workings right. that are very scientific and also very mysterious. And I give it that sense of awe. And I love that because I think every little girl would have liked to have heard that For sure. early. Yeah. And even, like I said, even though they'll hear things different, I'm not saying now.
0: Well, moms out there. Do it. Replicate what Kathy just said. Yeah. You know.
1: Awe inspiring. It's amazing just what our body releases this little egg every mm-hmm. month, and you know what the period actually is, yeah. and what's happening, and how it detoxifies mm-hmm. and releases. And you're supposed to be tired, your body's working hard, mm-hmm. detoxifying. And when you frame it in those ways, it doesn't. It's not so negative. Right. It's not so heavy. Um, so anyway, just ending neuroplasticity, which means you can always change the the neural pathways of your brain, and also remember epigenetics yeah. that many of us were born, you know, we came into a family maybe with certain genes or you know from a certain gene pool. And it's not that we necessarily change our genes, but we modify the genes expression that oh, yeah. maybe certain genes don't even need to. Well, you're not
0: a victim of your heritage. No. You're not a victim of whether or not your mom or your dad suffered from this or that. You can change that too.
1: You can by the way you by the way you experience your life. If you believe, you know, this person had this illness, therefore I'm going to have it, that's the way your genes will express themselves most likely. Not it, not 100%, but, but if you believe I have... The, the possibility well, to have a completely different experience Bruce
0: Lipton's book is uh, The Biology of Belief correct and it's all about that so if you're interested in epigenetics I've listened to that a long time ago and it was pretty inspiring so so that's it Todd thank you sweetie um, what was the name of the what's the umbrella thing that we call this
1: self-organization self-regulation
0: got it all right, I'm writing that down.
1: And again, I the reason this this thinking was stimulated in me is that I was on my way home from this school that I just taught at. I was listening to the Alanis Morissette podcast where she was talking with Dr. Siegel, who Todd and I love, and it kind of stimulated this thinking. There
0: you go. Mm-hmm. Um, our second partner is John J. Kelly Dentistry, Comprehensive Dentistry, and you can learn more about Dr. Uh, Kelly at chicagodentistonline.com. And I don't think we talked about this last week. Oh, no, because I was gone. Um... Cameron has this bracket on her tooth <laughs> and the wire came off at like 9.30 at night. Uh-huh. So I told you to use nail clippers to clip it, off. clip it off, which has happened like if she was eating an apple or something and you couldn't get it off Mm-mm. because it was a special material that he used It was uses. a different wire. Yeah. You know. And so I called John Kelly at 9.30 at night and he got in his car and he came to our house to take <laughs> care of drove-
1: it. He to our house. Unlike like we a
0: all, Wednesday night at 930.
1: And he, you know, showed up in his like sweats and yeah. we all had our sweats on and he brought his tools and he clipped that wire and folded it, got her some wax. And I was like, that's the craziest house call ever.
0: He's, he's, a, he's a rock star. A really nice man. And then our last partner is uh, Avid Company Painting and Remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, and that's avidco.net. So, um, real quick, we're not going to do the question because we ran out of time. Okay. Um, we did a show last week uh, with Bill Dwight from FamZoo. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We actually have an affiliation with them. We, If you want to teach your kids about um, finances, uh, financial intelligence with your children, um, a good starting point is to check out Vamzu And we have the link on the lower right hand side of our page. So I just want to like follow up with uh, with that because it's pretty good. And then we did get one review from Robin. I don't know where Robin's from. She's from the USA, but that's all I know. And she says she gave us five stars in one of uh, her new favorite podcasts. So thank you to Robin. And thank you, thank you to all you who might give us an iTunes review because it helps increase our listenership and our um, awareness. Actually,
1: can I tell you something? Sure. We for, and it, and it, it changes quite a bit. Like it, it hops around during the day, but um, we are now in the top 10 parenting podcasts that's on right. iTunes. We've always been in like the top 10, like what's hot, but mm-hmm. that's a very different thing. Right. On iTunes, they actually have like, you know, a s- system of how many, um, I think it's subscribers. Yeah. And number one is always, um, the crying one. What's it called? It's the... I think it's an NPR one, and then mm-hmm. there's a Slate one, and then there's Adam Carolla's wife's. Uh, you know, they're, I mean,
0: all of them are attached to some bigger organization, yeah. and then you and I are in our basement. Our, we're
1: in our basement. So we're we're sometimes ten. You know, I know we were ten last week after the conference, and then sometimes we're thirteen, and mm-hmm. sometimes we're sixteen. It hops around. Yeah. Um, but that was really great because the last time I looked, we were like you know, more like 30. Yeah. And so it's hopped up. So that's because of you guys. So thank you.
0: So bottom line is, uh, thank you for listening. Um, Go to that walk of life thing that we (laughs) talked about. I just noticed that they have Psycho too. Did you watch the Psycho one? We didn't watch
1: the Psycho one.
0: You did or did not? We didn't. Okay. So if you want to have a good laugh, go ahead. (laughs) And uh, we'll catch you guys next Tuesday. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, folks. Hope it was as good for you as it was for us. Some other ways you can support Zen Parenting is by asking Kathy or I, or maybe both of us, to speak or present to a group you're affiliated with. Or you can also tell a friend about our podcast. If you ship Amazon, go through the link on zenparentingradio.com first. It doesn't cost you anything, but Zen Parenting will get a small commission. You can also buy any of Kathy's three amazing books through Amazon or our homepage. And if you're like me and you want to teach your children personal financial management, then use FamZoo it's an amazing resource it's a virtual family bank that will set your children on a path towards financial freedom click on the link on the lower right hand side of our homepage to learn more and if you're a chicago guy and want to learn more about the tribe the men's group that i lead go to the tribemensgroup.com do you want to grow your business by partnering with us shoot me an email and you can also give us an itunes review lastly you can subscribe to our podcast through our homepage or itunes directly This will guarantee you're up to speed on the latest and greatest of Zen Parenting Radio. You can always send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com and I'll be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. Finally, we're thankful for all your support and encouragement and always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Keep trucking.